Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, and it's our first show of 2021. I'd love to start it with an animated and upbeat Happy New Year, but, well, if you follow the news, you know why that's somewhat challenging at the moment. Then again, this podcast is supposed to be an escape from the non-gambling news. And John, you've always been pretty good at compartmentalizing. Can you get the show started with some positivity and give us a reason or two to say Happy New Year and mean it? Oh, yeah, I think so, Eric. Uh, I'm sure you're talking about the hiccups and the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, but remember, <laughs> last spring, the idea that any of these could be in use at the end of 2020 was roundly mocked by all the people like to mock things, right? But now it's here. and It just isn't coming quickly enough. And there's truth in that. But, geez, it is coming. I mean, heck, I have three close family members in the medical field who already have gotten their vaccine. So we're going to celebrate next New Year's Eve normally and next Christmas and Hanukkah and Thanksgiving and Halloween before that. Uh, and I think Labor Day and maybe even more. So, you know, it's a happy new year indeed. Now, perhaps you mean some sort of disturbance that took place in Washington, D.C. That could be it, too. Perhaps. Uh, I'll just note that January 6th is the Feast of the Epiphany, a word that in the secular world has come to mean an illuminating discovery, a realization. And I have a bit of hope that I had one myself on Wednesday, that this whole fiasco someday will be looked back as the day that the fever broke in terms of the logical result of the downward spiral in tribalism. You know, it's frankly easy to convince people of damn near anything these days. And with that great power needs to come great responsibility. And I kind of hope that's gotten more obvious as of now. All right. I, I like that. That's uh, the, the sort of silver lining approach to bottoming out and uh, and things turning around afterwards. Uh, I, I could go for that. Um, I could be. But, yeah, but, yeah, so, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the side that you're uh, that you're right. If, uh, yeah. if that puts a smile on my face uh, for temporarily, um, <laughs> if, if I'm trying to be Mr. Positivity, uh, I'll note that it will soon be a happy new year for people in Michigan and Virginia who would like to be able to play sports bets legally. Uh, so there's that. Um, and uh, as we'll be discussing on the show, we have six NFL playoff games coming up this weekend to watch and possibly wager on that could help make this a happy start to the new year. Um, but you know, it's funny when, uh, when 2020 was ending, 
if you wanted to bet that 2021 would be a better year than 2020, it was like a minus 10,000 favorite, right? Uh, no, nobody was even taking bets. Now, I don't know. It's still a favorite, but the odds have come down a lot. Uh, but uh, but let's all try to have a happy new year. I can get on board with, with hoping for a happy new year, at least. And of course, hoping for a winning gambling year for all. Absolutely. And I, I, I do think we've hit bottom. Like, okay. I, I could be wrong, but I do think we've hit bottom. If we haven't hit bottom, I'm not sure I want to see what bottom looks like. But. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 124 of Gamble On, a.k.a. season four, episode one. If you missed any of our previous 123 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You've probably given up on most of your New Year's resolutions already, but you should definitely resolve to give us a five-star rating if you haven't done it already. Absolutely. And uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Roto Grinders' Eric Beinfor, who will help us preview the NFL playoffs. We're going to ask Eric his thoughts on some of the wildcard weekend games, which team he likes for Super Bowl futures, and more. But first, it was a busy week on Wednesday in the world of gambling. <laughs> Let's get to it. <laughs> Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. I alluded to the craziness in the news news on Wednesday at the top of the show, but the sports betting world had its own drama-filled news day on Wednesday, as John just uh, noted uh, right before we went into the bumper there, uh, as the realistic possibility of mobile sports betting coming to New York went on an up and down and sideways roller coaster ride in the matter of a few hours. It started with a report in the New York Daily News published early Wednesday morning that quoted New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has long been the primary roadblock to legalizing mobile betting in the Empire State. Uh, he said, New York has the potential to be the largest sports wagering market in the United States. And by legalizing online sports betting, we aim to keep millions of dollars in tax revenue here at home, which will only strengthen our ability to rebuild from the COVID-19 crisis. Based on that, online sports betting in New York suddenly felt more possible than ever before. Then Cuomo spoke at a press conference midday, and the hope and optimism took a hit. He said he wanted the New York lottery to run this potential sports betting industry, with a Cuomo aide claiming it would create more revenue for the state while it would make no difference to sports bettors. Suffice to say, bettors in states where the lottery does run sports betting won't unanimously agree with that last point. Anyway, what might have been a quick and easy bill to put together and pass gets a lot more complicated the more New York strays from the New Jersey model. So, John, as the industry's foremost poo-pooer of New York legalization likelihood for the last two years, how are you feeling currently? Uh, and, and there are a lot of other wrinkles to this and to Cuomo's press conference, so please have at it with any takes you might have. Yeah, I mean, the initial report really shocked me because it that just seemed like a wholesale 180 degrees after a couple of years of what seemed like would be permanent skepticism by Cuomo. So nothing on the ground changed. The, the idea that the uh, total amount of revenue from sports betting is a rounding error is not is not wrong and it's not uh, any different. So I could not figure out how that happened. But you know, then Cuomo really rattled the expanding U.S. sports betting industry with really a Molotov cocktail of having the New York lottery handle things in the state. Um, that's how tiny states like Rhode Island or Delaware or New Hampshire do it. Not a behemoth like New York that would be by far the largest to offer mobile sports betting under any system. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a later update by Cuomo's staff says, well, the New York Gaming Commission would send out a request for proposals and make it that makes it sound like the New York New Hampshire model that has given DraftKings a monopoly there. 
you know, a follower of mine on Twitter made a point that I've often made. Do you want to legalize sports betting to maximize tax revenues or to give your state residents a competitive landscape that will offer fairer prices and perhaps put a dent in that state's illegal gambling industry? Um, it's sort of a choice to make. Um, ideally, you can do both, but it's probably not practical. You know, Cuomo's been told by some lobbyists, I assume, that the state can collect $500 million in taxes annually through the lottery versus $50 million by cutting the state's casinos and maybe racetracks in on the action. You know, first off, I've run the numbers. I think advocates for traditional sports betting model are on point in New York about $100 million annually being more likely for the state. Mm-hmm. And if anything, that might be conservative. Um, secondly, some state lotteries handling sports betting, looking at you, Oregon, have been particularly poor at it, even losing money. You know, I mentioned the word lobbyists. And if you are one in the gaming industry, I hope your compensation includes overtime because Cuomo has a state of the state speech coming on Monday and his budget proposal coming within another week or so after that, uh, then adoption of the budget in April. Uh, look for some language to change on how this idea plays out, depending on uh, who's got the best lobbyists. And for industry forces such as the racetracks, travel casinos, and those companies, for the moment at least, that are cut out of the mix, to be constantly texting their favorite legislators in Albany. This is going to be a wild week or two. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I saw that uh, one One of the details there was that the, the full details of the proposal are supposed to be issued by January 19th, so I was looking at that on the calendar. And uh, yeah, this is quite likely to be a story that we revisit next week and the week after. I think New York is going to stay in the news for a little while here in the gambling industry. As far as the lottery running sports betting and whether that's a recipe for disaster, as you kind of said there, it depends on how open the market is. Like Tennessee is a state where the lottery is in charge, but things seem off to a good start because numerous operators can enter. There is that lame rule about the payout cap, but otherwise not much to object to there. And West Virginia is like Tennessee. Virginia apparently will be like Tennessee and West Virginia. It's states where the lottery is running a monopoly or near monopoly like New Hampshire, Oregon, Montana, D.C. I know that's not a state, but jurisdiction. That's where we see it really not working well for betters and not doing a great job stopping bettors from going offshore. So I don't know what's going to be decided in New York. Uh, There's a a lot to play out. It does seem Cuomo is opening a can of worms here that will at least slow everything down while various sides debate who should oversee this. With the, the optimism that uh, that you suddenly had on Wednesday morning and a lot of us had that, wow, something could happen and it could happen fast. I don't think anything's happening fast now, just based on the approach they seem to be taking. Well, I'll just mention two things, and these are literally total coincidences with a state of uh, as large as New York State. The two leading proponents of sports betting in New York have been State Senator Joseph Adabo, who lives in the very section of Queens that is home to Aqueduct Racetrack, and Assemblyman Gary Pretlow who happens to be from Yonkers, where Yonkers Raceway is located. Mm. Now, technically, the way Governor Cuomo uh, made the announcement yesterday, only commercial casino partners or can be in on the game. Well, MGM has 780 million reasons why they don't like that idea, because uh, <laughs> Yonkers Raceway is a racino, not a full-fledged casino. Mm. So is MGM cut out from even bidding for a uh, sports betting license? Um, I imagine Mr. Pretlow is going to be interested in that. So so you have the two big supporters of this idea saying, wait a minute, um, Senator Adabo is saying, well, the horse racing industry has to uh, get in on this somehow. Uh, and uh, Assemblyman Pretlow is going to be uh, obviously concerned about what happens for Yonkers Raceway. So already 
there's some roadblocks that weren't even there before. So while Cuomo's opposition and, and change from that opposition is critical, um, it's going to be very complicated in Albany. All right. So to, to the message to our listeners in New York State is temper any excitement you might have for the moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, I mean, the current pitch that was made yesterday or Wednesday right. is not going to uh, necessarily. Um, and I'm not sure that in this short of a time frame, this can get fixed. Uh, Cuomo could have made this announcement in October, and there would have been plenty of time to, uh, you know, do all the tweaks that you want to do. But here, it's literally at the last second. It's stunned just about everybody. <laughs> Nobody saw it coming. And so I'm not sure what's going to happen. All right. Uh, we will keep tabs on that. Uh, for our second story, we're going to the world of poker, where we'll combine three newsworthy items into one story. First, the World Series of Poker main event is complete. A champion has been crowned. The final table and subsequent heads-up match will air on ESPN in February. So if you really want to avoid spoilers, this is your warning to pause the podcast. Fast forward five minutes or so. If you haven't paused the pod, if you're still listening, here we go. Joseph Bear of Louisiana prevailed at the U.S. version of the final table, aided by the absence of Upeshka da Silva, who was unfortunately disqualified and awarded ninth place money because he tested positive for COVID. Uh, but then Argentina's Damian Salas defeated Bear heads up to win the bracelet and the extra million dollars. The second piece of poker news, the Poker Hall of Fame announced its lone inductee for 2021, 1996 main event champion Huckseed. Yes, that's his real name, Huckleberry Huck. Seed, uh, who owns four WSOP bracelets and has long been among the most respected players in the world and is also one of the most infamous crazy prop bettors in the business. Uh, and the third poker news item, over the holidays, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed off on a bill allowing interstate online poker effective in approximately 90 days. It's uncertain whether online poker will launch in the state prior to that. Current estimates have online sports betting launching in late January and online casinos sometime after that. So, John, you don't have to comment on all three stories. You can pick and choose what interests you among these three poker items. Yeah, I don't know De Silva's age or personal health history, so I'm not comfortable being cheeky about a COVID positive test being a weird bad beat, given the no guarantees even for young and healthy. So mm -hmm. I'm going to pass on that. Um, Huck Seed is a Hall of Fame name, so I approve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> online poker. Okay, interstate compacts, adding Michigan and Pennsylvania, full liquidity, Nirvana, you know, since it's January 2021, and I'm feeling hopeful, I'm sure that this is all going to fall into place in 2022. <laughs> that sounds about right. I think Michigan will get going before then, but Pennsylvania, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not counting on, uh, on my state joining that interstate party necessarily this year. Um, I'm looking forward to watching the main event when it airs on ESPN. Uh, nothing about this year's tournament was ideal, but it's decidedly better than nothing. Uh, you do have to feel bad for De Silva, um, but I guess I would say not from his perspective, but from just sort of a poker observer's perspective, at least he was eighth in chips coming into the final table. Like if he'd been in the top three in chips, this would feel more like a travesty of sorts. This is basically the Browns having a mini COVID outbreak before the first round of the playoffs, which does suck, but people would be a lot more up in arms if the Chiefs have a COVID outbreak and Mahomes misses a playoff game or, or something like that. Um, as for Huxied, I know you're a golf guy, John, so you will enjoy this prop bet that Huxied once made that he could break 100 on a Las Vegas golf course in the 120 degree desert heat four times in one day 
using just a five iron sand wedge and putter. That was the bet that he could shoot four rounds of under a hundred using just those three clubs in a single day. And he did win the bet, but apparently it took him six rounds to do it. (laughs) Now, now there's a golf event I'd watch if they had to play 108 holes in a single day in the heat, turning it into an endurance sport. It's sort of like the, the Ironman triathlon of golf. That would, uh, that that would be pretty entertaining to me. You know, uh, hopefully uh, they're getting adequate hydration along the way. Um, Yeah. That's a combination though. There, you know, the heat is an issue. Uh, The limited number of clubs is an issue uh, and time is an issue because, you know, takes hours to play each round. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's actually pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Now, I don't know. The one detail I'd be curious about is once I, I, I just learned that it took him the six rounds to do it, I wonder if he cut any of the other rounds short at all. Like, you're, you know, he's, he, he's going for it, and he's clearly on a pace through 15 holes where he's highly unlikely to get there. Does he quickly just head back to hole one and start over? So I, I'm not sure if he played the full 108 holes, uh, but still uh, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Um, but certainly seed is uh, a great poker player and a good choice for the hall of fame. I do think the hall shouldn't be letting in just one person per year. There are uh, plenty of other worthy names on the ballot this year. I think Antonio Esfandiari, Isai Scheinberg, Ted Forrest, Love him or hate him, Chris Ferguson, they should all be Hall of Famers. And uh, the backlog is just going to get worse uh, if they keep only letting in one a year. So uh, some, a lot of years it's been two. So I'm not sure why they only went with one this year, but I think uh, that's that would be my only gripe. Huck, Huck deserves to be in there, but I think the, uh, there should have been more. Well, is there like a big ceremony like Cooperstown where uh, people <laughs> gather from all over the country to show up? The, not it. <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, there is a small ceremony that usually takes place at the World Series of Poker. Um, so who knows what the World Series of Poker will look like uh, this this summer if it happens. And uh, so maybe that was part of the reason they went with a smaller class was just they're not sure how much they'll be able to celebrate it. Well, if they, have, if they do more in 2022, I hope they bring Seed back. I mean, he shouldn't be uh, sort of uh, deprived of a full, you right. know, a ceremony, you know, because he got picked in the COVID uh, year, you know, Derek Jeter got into the Hall of Fame, should have been last summer, mm. uh, and the ceremony was canceled. So he's going in this this summer with uh, whoever else is elected this month. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully they have something like that in mind. We'll see. Uh, all right. Our last news item this week. With the dawn of a new year came the end of a mini era in Iowa sports betting. From the launch of Iowa mobile betting in 2019 through the end of 2020, In order to start an account, a better was required to register in person. Iowa is not unique in this. Other states have or had an in-person registration requirement, most notably Nevada, which still has that requirement in place. But Iowa's rule was scheduled to sunset at the end of 2020. So now bettors can open a mobile account remotely, making the state the same in that regard as neighboring Indiana. To this point, the highest mobile sports betting handle month in Iowa has been $62.4 million. So it'll be interesting to see how much that increases with remote registration allowed. Nearby Illinois has been a strange state where the governor has repeatedly temporarily lifted the in-person requirement during COVID. But in Iowa, this has all been by design. John, thoughts on in-person registration and what this change will mean to Iowa sports betting? 
Yeah, I've been waiting for this for a while, actually. You know, a state of somewhat decent size that has gotten its feet wet with mobile sports betting and the bizarro sign-up in-person requirement going away. You know, each month is not exactly alike in terms of sports offerings, but after three or four months, I'm curious to see how much the end of that requirement boosts the mobile betting revenue. You know, how many people are out there that, yeah, I want to do it, and I only want to do it legally, but I don't want to, you know, head out to a casino an hour away. So I'm mildly excited on that front to see what happens, uh, but especially for my niece and her boyfriend in Iowa City who don't follow sports so at least now they're going to pass up the opportunity because they just don't care not because they would have had to schlep to one of the city suburban casinos to sign up so that's what i call progress in the gaming world <laughs> there you go um you know it's it's interesting i think that the rule in iowa made some sense initially and 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 makes sense as a temporary move in a lot of states you know sort of the idea being let's throw the brick and mortar side of things a bone and get people to come out to the casinos at least once. They might buy a meal and play some table games and so forth. That's the thinking behind it. Uh, I, I see the logic in that. But when COVID came along, you know, when, when we have a pandemic that closes the casino for a few months and makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable going to casinos still many months after that, I would have liked to have seen Iowa follow Illinois' lead and lift the requirement early. Now, I realize it's it's a moot point now. You know, that, that period is now over. Um, I would certainly expect that January 2021 will be the biggest handle month Iowa has seen so far. But like you, I'm curious how much of a jump we're going to see. If it jumps to, say, $100 million in the first month out of the gate after topping out at 62 before that, That'll be a pretty clear sign about how much revenue Iowa was leaving on the table with this in-person registration requirement. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking what you said about, uh, you know, give, throwing the casinos a bone and people show up and once they're there to sign up, they might as well do this and that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in college, uh, there was a deal. I lived about 120 miles north of Atlantic City and I could uh, – get a local bus would take me down to Atlantic city. It was $10 for the bus ride. And they gave you $10 and quarters. Right. And, um, now my buddies and I all walked into the casino. We went to the uh, cage and we got $10 and we left. <laughs> I have to admit, I, we didn't see anybody else who was on that bus who did the same thing. <laughs> so everybody else blew the 10 bucks and then some. So uh, we were the only ones who, uh, who had a different uh, point of view, I suppose. <laughs> you and your, uh, your, your niece in, in Iowa City uh, have, uh, I, I guess, uh, similar approaches to uh, not wanting to blow too much money gambling. Uh, somewhere in the darkness, I, I broke even on that trip. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It wasn't easy. It wasn't without hiccups. But the NFL got through a regular season during COVID, and now it's on to the playoffs. And a whole new batch of games to try to bet the right sides of while always being aware that COVID complications can boost or crush your bet at any moment. Joining us now to share his thoughts as the wild card round gets underway this weekend is Roto Grinders and SharpSide app product manager and DFS standout Eric Bimefor, who should be in a good mood after a nice five-figure win in an NBA DFS event earlier this week. Eric, congrats on that score and welcome to Gamble On. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to uh, be on here. I listen to I listen to you guys um, every week, and yeah, uh, I, I guess uh, it's easy to be in a good mood when you have a little bit more money in your pocket. Uh, <laughs> excited, you know. Obviously, going to talk about NFL here, but it's a fun time, I think, with NFL playoffs starting and the NBA really getting in the in the groove. And obviously, the national champ. Well, maybe we'll have the college football national championship. We'll see. Uh, you know, just a lot of excitement going on. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, before we look ahead to the playoffs, I want to start with one question looking back at this unusual NFL regular season. As a DFS player and sports better, how did COVID impact your efforts to win money? Did it cause major headaches or mostly just minor ones? And, and were there any particularly huge surprises to you this season? Any team or player performances you really didn't see coming during the preseason? It's such such an interesting question because um, I I don't know if any of the like you know COVID related or kind of chaotic aspects of this season were like truly like directly impactful to whether I want I won or lost money. But I, what I think it really did both you know definitely from a DFS perspective because it's so player focused, but also from a sports betting perspective is being kind of nimble and, and re, you know, making sure you're reacting, but also reacting appropriately to you know, constant ever-changing news. You know, <laughs> but teams, whole teams are getting wiped out. Games are getting rescheduled. You know, for DFS, that obviously has, has big impacts. But for sports betting, trying to analyze, you know, whole position groups being out, right? You have the Denver Broncos don't have a quarterback <laughs> or – you know, the, half the Cleveland Browns organization now has, you know, has has tested positive. There's just so much in flux that um, I, I don't know if it was, like I said, directly impactful to my, you know, profit or loss. But I do think it definitely made me adapt and, and made if you wanted to be successful, you absolutely had to adapt um, to just the ever changing kind of environment that we that, that we were living in. We might show up on Sunday and you guys are just not playing right because well i guess there you know there's a running joke that covid doesn't exist on game days in the nfl you, nobody ever tested positive on sunday morning but on saturday on on, on saturday you, you might get bombshells dropped on you we did again this week you know with like Al, alvin kamara situation mm-hmm. so it's just always i think it helped me evolve i don't know if it made me any money but it did make me i think uh kind of be more thoughtful and think you know, be, be smart about how to react to, to different situations because they were all very different, but you had to react appropriately. Okay. And, and as for the other part of the question, just about uh, any big surprises this year, mm-hmm. anything you didn't see coming, were there teams or players you totally over or underestimated coming into the year? Oh yeah. There's a run. So there's a running joke that I was like leading the, the charge for Tom Brady is washed uh, oh. <laughs> before, before the, before the season. And then, you know, you get to, he looked, he looked quite bad very early, um, or, or vice versa. I can't even remember. He, he's had kind of a roller coaster season. Right. But, right. um, I think in general him and the bucks, I was really down on the Tampa Bay bucks with Brady. I just didn't know how it would gel. And like I said, I wasn't really a big proponent of Brady's kind of overall skill set at this at this point in his career, um, and I think he he he's definitely not the old the old Tom Brady, but uh, he, he showed a lot more to me um, and his fit within that offense with you know being able to throw the deep ball to Mike Evans and all that. Um, I think I think the Bucks were probably maybe not a surprise to everybody, but somebody I I definitely whiffed on, and then I think um, the, uh, the the Ravens. Um, and they've been kind of a similar like roller coaster style. Like, I was really, really like I thought that they were m- maybe better than the Chiefs coming into the year. Uh, just a loaded, just a totally loaded roster. And man, they did not look very. You know, they, they were okay, but they did not look very good for a stretch. But I think they're really, they're really getting it going at the right time now. 
Yeah. I'm looking at the other side of the of the game, and you're talking about the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Uh, mm-hmm. The football team is really strange, not only because they don't have a nickname, although that's a good part of it. Um, <laughs> they haven't they haven't like, given up more than 20 points in seven games in a row, which is amazing. They haven't scored more than 23 points, so except once in that stretch. Uh, fourth lowest points allowed in the league, and the other three teams that are ahead of them are way way better than they are. So, you know, they have obviously proven they can bore everybody to death on a week-to-week basis. But, um, you know, they get eight and a half points, and uh, I think it's 45 and a half over under roughly in that range. I, I don't like that kind of a combination uh, to take both because, uh, you know, a football team gets a scoop and score early or something. You're going like, all right, I'm in trouble here. If they score, that's bad. If they score, it's bad. I, I'm not going to win it. So figuring either one of these is, uh, is probably better. And from a DFS standpoint, you're obviously focused on Brady. Like, what is he going to do against that defense, against that front seven? Probably, you know, what kind of offensive line do the Bucks have? So, uh, you know, does, does, the, does the, the, the team defensive front kind of overwhelm things or do, do Brady and their offensive skill set uh, kind of get around that? I, I think the football team overwhelms, to your point. Um, it's It's – you know, it's kind of becoming like almost the, the the public thing, which makes you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Everybody's mm-hmm. talking about this matchup of this yeah. this front seven against against Brady, and you know, a lot of people are pointing out how much Brady can struggle against the pressure, and how they're a pretty deep ball reliant offense, um, which is which is not great when a team's getting to the quarterback really really quick. So it's just a lot of variables I think that stack up in favor of, of the football team. The, the Bucks also have some injuries on, on defense, but also uh, to Mike Evans, you know, it looks like maybe he'll, he'll play. It looked bad when he got hurt. Um, so I just said, had assumed he was out, but now it's looking like maybe he'll play, but it's hard to imagine he'll be at a hundred percent. And I, I'm a huge, huge, huge Chris Godwin fan. I think he's an amazing player, but I think Evans is really the key to that offense to be able to kind of lift the lid down down the field which they'll definitely need this week and so you know that pressure um against the you know average at best offensive line um with maybe a you know no mike evans or a hobbled mike evans um i think you know alex smith can just check it down to to you know maybe 17 or 20 points and i think i think the bucks are, are really going to struggle um they played from behind a couple times this year um, but it was against like the Falcons who, you know, they just like to give up leads <laughs> every, every week. Um, and, and, and this is not that kind of a matchup. So I really, I really like the football team. I, I was stunned, honestly, at that number. Um, I, I thought it would be much lower. So maybe I'm just way off on kind of the nuances of this matchup, but I thought that was way too big of a number. Yeah. One other thing on that uh, is any offensive player on football team, even draftable at any price. Uh, I'm not sure they are. <laughs> Um, so it, it's really interesting The The one guy I will point out would be Logan Thomas. Um, and that's solely because of the position. I, I love Terry. I talked about Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin's probably right up there with one, one of my kind of favorite skill position players in the league, but he's just a really tough mesh with the way that Alex Smith plays, plays offense, um, in, in a tough matchup, but Logan Thomas might get, you know, the most volume of any tight end. It's not the prettiest, right? It's not, it's not, it's not Mahomes chucking to Kelsey, but um, tight end is, is really weak in general in the NFL right now from a DFS standpoint, but especially, you know, on, on a playoff slate where there's very few games to choose from um, Logan Thomas is, is the one football team guy. I think that you can probably target with relative confidence. 
So that's that's one of the games on the schedule with uh, sort of a, a low total and low expectations for offense. I want to ask you about the game with the highest total and the highest expectations for <laughs> offense, and that's uh, the Ravens against the Titans. And if there was a line that surprised me for this weekend, six games, it was that one. It was Baltimore minus three and a half in Tennessee. I see it's, it's come down a half point to minus three, uh, but still, I wasn't really expecting the Ravens to be favored on the road over a good team like Tennessee, a team that beat them earlier this year, especially not by more than a point or two. So I personally have money on the Titans plus three and a half and on the money line at plus 168 but it sounds like you have a different view of the Ravens than I do. So is there something I'm missing here or do you see it as the books possibly overrating the Ravens? As odd as it sounds, I think it could be a little bit of both. I do see it. So it could be a little bit of bias from my perspective. Like I said, I was so high on the Ravens coming in and they were so disappointing for what, eight to 10 weeks maybe. And they've just really started humming. And I do think, you know, they had their own COVID issues, right? You know, both with Lamar Jackson, skill position groups, and they're trotting, God bless Des Bryant, but they're trotting out Des Bryant in 2020 as, you know, a lead wide receiver. Uh, and they're picking up tight ends off the, you know, off waivers and, and they're getting six targets. So they, they had their own difficulties throughout this year. And I think they started to get healthy uh, at the end of this year. And they really started to play, to play good football. The Titans are like, this really polarizing team. And the issue that I have with the Titans is they play a really high variance style when you get to, to the playoffs riding Derrick Henry, you know, 40 times a game, it worked for them in the playoffs last year. But when you run into as talented of a team, as I believe that the Ravens are and as healthy as a team um, as the Ravens are, it, it becomes tough. If you know, if you get Tennessee into long down in distances, Tannehill's really good. And AJ Brown and Corey Davis, those guys are really good, but it just it just becomes tough. And I think the Ravens are with J.K. Dobbins, you know, now really starting to roll. Um, the Lamar's throwing it a, a little bit better. It's just, it's just really that there's a lot of of ways that the game can go wrong for the Titans. I do, I do expect, you know, plenty of plenty of scoring, but it's just kind of a this is the Ravens team that I expected it to be all year. And now we're starting to see it at the right time. Um, and I think a little bit of, of what happened last year was some of the injuries, particularly on the defensive side that they started to, to sustain up front. It became a really tough matchup to stop Derrick Henry, like losing a guy like Brandon Williams that uh, they lost last year, one of their best defensive linemen. They were frankly bad against the run, which is not something as we've seen that you want to be against Derrick Henry. <laughs> right. So you know, they were able to just grind them out. And Lamar's not good enough as a thrower to to kind of like go, you know, score 50 points and, and win a game. So I just think it's kind of a combination of a bunch of things, mainly the the Ravens, you know, being better on defense, being able to put up a, a tougher fight against Derrick Henry than say last year or than most teams have been able to this year. And I think they're they're just really humming on offense and the Titans defense is not something that scares me. Well, here, here's where I'd push back on the on the Ravens uh, and why I think they might be a little overrated is just looking at the they have this five game winning streak going the teams that it's come against the Browns win was obviously a good one but then it's a couple of NFC East opponents the Jaguars I just sort of wonder if they're that team that can beat up on the bad teams but then struggles against the good teams is that a concern uh, at all for you as a guy who is a believer in the Ravens that they might they, there might be a little bit of a mirage there. I think it's the biggest concern probably okay. uh, 
the Titans are like the team that does the opposite. They play down a little bit to some of these bad teams, but they play up. Like they'll go give the Chiefs a game, right? Mm-hmm. Every, like they'll, they'll give everybody a game because they're just, you know, Tannehill's really good. They're, they're well coached, um, you know, and they can score with it, with anybody. So they're the team that like can play up and, and, and the Ravens, they just can't, they're not built to do that. Right. When you're built to really run the ball and play tough physical pressure defense, you can't, you can't be the team that falls, that falls behind. Like Lamar Jackson is just not that kind of a, that kind of a quarterback. They need to be able to play from ahead and run the ball. So it is once they start to play good teams, it's, it's a huge concern. I think, you know, if, if they are, having trouble stopping Derrick Henry and then the play action game with Ryan Tannehill is working. It, I think it could get ugly just like it did last We could see the same thing that happened last year in this game in the playoffs. Um, but I, I'm, I'm still hopeful, you know, I'm holding on to my what four months ago <laughs> take about, about the Ravens um, that they're maybe a little bit better than, uh, than like we saw last year. Yeah. You gotta be a little stubborn. Sometimes, it, <laughs> sometimes it burns you, but sometimes it pays off. Exactly. Yeah. Although Eric, you know, I've learned a little bit from the pros. And one of the things is you don't love the team. You love the line, you love the price. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to assume that you think the Super Bowl future winning bet uh, the odds for the Ravens are what you like most and what uh, for Buccaneers, what you like least, or is that the case? Or is there something else where you wouldn't normally think of this team, but the, the odds seem so far off that you either love a team or hate a team for that reason. Um. It's not, it's not the Ravens, sad, sad to say. The, I, I would love to like the Ravens, but the problem with the Ravens for me is that, well, A, they have to run into the Chiefs, and I also think the Chiefs are a really brutal, brutal matchup for the Ravens. We've seen them just not, the way that they play defense, you know, they play a really pressure man-to-man style defense, which is like literally the opposite of what you want to do against Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs, and they've just never been able to hang in there. So I really struggle with them making making a run but the 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 team that i do think can do it that i'm also really high on is the bills um and so we're looking at seven seven and a half to one to win the the super bowl right now which is not a an amazing number but i think the bills are a little bit similar in that they're getting healthier at the right time um they were able it was weird they didn't totally rest everybody last week but they were able to get a little bit of rest i guess Mm -hmm. um, about a half of a game of rest last week so they're relatively fresh. I think the defense really struggled most of this year, and it's similar to the Ravens. It's getting healthy. It's coming back into its own. They're playing much better defense um, lately. And we saw them deploy a strategy against the Chiefs earlier this year when they played that was basically to force them to run the ball. And uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire did run really successfully against them, but we don't know his status if they were to even get get to another game. And I don't trust that they can just hand the ball to, to, to Le'Veon Bell at his advance, you know, kind of the where he stands. So if they can slow down Mahomes at all um, and force them to continue to, you know, be stubborn and run the ball, the Bills offense is really good. And also, you know, hopefully they can get Cole Beasley back, but John Brown is back and Josh Allen um, uh, is just humming right now. And, and I wouldn't want to bet against their offense against anybody. So they're like the one team I think, that can they can definitely match Kansas City offensively, and I think they're smart enough and talented enough on defense to like you know if the game came down to a coin flip, they could pull one out against the Chiefs. So they're like the one other team outside of like Kansas City that I don't completely love seven to one. I'm seeing like seven and a half to one on points bet, which obviously 
I'd prefer seven and a half, seven, <laughs> but um, they're like the one team that I'm really high on that I think has a legitimate shot. I'm not really into any of these, you know, I'm not betting the the Seahawks or the Rams or anything like that, because I just, the odds are okay, but I just really don't see much upside in those teams. All right. Well, great stuff. Great talking to you, Eric. Uh, congratulations again on that pocket change you picked up in the NBA <laughs> GPP streets on Tuesday night. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our final Fast Five standing shortly, and we'll also make our playoff picks for Wildcard Weekend. But first, let's update our shared bankroll, which includes several NFL futures updates. Uh, in terms of the bets we made two weeks ago on our last podcast, I had a good one on Ja Morant, over 20 and a half points in the Grizzlies opener. He scored 44. Uh, too bad it wasn't a points bet style bet, uh, but still, we won $100 on that. Unfortunately, we lost $112 on John's Houston minus 11 pick in their bowl game against Hawaii. And my $50 Cardinals, Dolphins, Bears, Week 16 Moneyline Parlay lost on the opening leg when Arizona lost to San Francisco. Uh, the other two legs then won, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> anyway, add up those bets, and we lost $62. No big deal. But the news gets much worse because of my miserable futures bets. Uh, John, you gave us a winner. Uh, Bengals under five and a half wins. We won $100 on that. But we lost... $225 on my bet on the Cowboys to make the playoffs. We lost another $126 on my bet on the Eagles and Steelers to both win their divisions. And the heartbreaker of all heartbreakers, Rob friggin Gronkowski stayed healthy for all 16 games and went over his yardage prop by three and a half yards on a fourth quarter catch in week 17. I still stand by the bet. I think we just hit the nut low run out uh, at least 95 times out of 100. He finishes under, but that cost us a whopping $220, which means we ultimately lost, oh boy, a $533 since our last bankroll update. Uh, one piece of good news. Yeah, not, not good. Not good. And I take the blame for a pretty good chunk of that. Uh, but one piece of good news with regard to futures, uh, Aaron Rodgers is a near shoe in for MVP. So we will win back $220 when that is made official. And Aaron Donald is drawing live for defensive player of the year. It's either him or TJ Watt that might end up being a $200 profit. Uh, but for now, we are a depressing $1,234 in the red. Uh, we also have $590 on holding futures bets, leaving us with $8,176 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Well, I agree 100% on the Gronk bet. That's a brutal loss there. That I, I liked it a lot when you said it. And Everything had to go against us to, to make that happen. But yeah. uh, I'm realizing, you know, that teaser before this segment, uh, I think uh, we'll still wonder as if we will ever run out of money. And <laughs> I, I used to be amused. We're like, you know, that's never going to happen. But <laughs> wow. so, so, so the or blow it all, you're saying blow it all is oh, in play. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. That's probably got a line <laughs> on it now. So, um, 
right. Now I'll be up first here. Uh, I'll go with uh, Alabama minus seven and a half points over Ohio State, 110 to win 100. Uh, it's nice to see the university continue the proud tradition of disguising Maurice Claret as a student, the whole Urban Meyer experience, and now with a seemingly uncurious look at quarterback Josh Fields, possibly broken ribs during halftime in the semifinal game. So I'd like to think that if Bama's up 14 late, even TOSU won't keep trotting out a gasping Fields to try to get the cheap cover. Okay. Um, I was looking for a fun way to bet the NFL playoffs. And I saw that FanDuel had props on picking either the highest scoring or lowest scoring of the 12 teams on wildcard weekend. The Titans Ravens game has the highest total on the board. So not surprisingly, the team favored to win that game. Baltimore has the shortest odds here. They're plus 470. But as you know, from the question I posed to Eric Beimfor, I think Tennessee is at least a very live underdog there. And the Titans odds to have the most points of the weekend is all the way up at plus 900. I think that's a pretty good price. I don't think it's such a long shot to say this game will be a shootout and the Titans could win. Uh, Now, that doesn't guarantee they win this bet. Even if that happens, they could win the game like 38-35 and still have, say, Buffalo put up 41 points in a blowout against the Colts or something. Still... Nine to one is worth it in my view. This could be a very fun sweat. Let's risk a mere twenty-five dollars to win two twenty-five. All right, I'm gonna go back to my core competency here. The PGA Tour is back after almost an endless entire month off. <laughs> so we're off to Hawaii in the Tournament of Champions, which this year has a few non-champions in a field of forty-two. Because well, 2020 still lingers a little bit, doesn't it? Right. Um, the chalk excels at this wide fairway birdie binge course every year. Uh, but the four favorites at price is just that are just too short. So give me Patrick Reed. He's a first and two seconds here previously at a tasty 110 to win 100 for a mere top 10 out of 42. And another 10 to claim 160 for Reed uh, winning the whole tournament. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to the NBA for my second bet. And my original plan was to look at the Thursday games and find an underdog to bet on the money line. Every single day so far this season, one or two significant underdogs, like plus 250 or higher, have been winning. You know, it's understandable. There was a short off season, almost no preseason. The first couple of weeks are sort of like extended preseason as teams work out the kinks. So we're seeing upsets. Uh, you, you could be rich right now if you bet the Knicks money line consistently to this point. Uh, that said, I just don't like any of the underdogs enough tonight. Uh, it's only a five-game NBA slate, and none of the dogs' prices are doing it for me. So instead, I'm going with a player prop. Uh, Sixers at Nets, big showdown between two of the top contenders in the East. I'm going to give myself a very unfun sweat as a Sixers fan. I'm taking Joel Embiid under 12 and a half rebounds, and it's priced at plus 108. I know the matchup is favorable for Embiid. He tends to kick Jared Allen's ass, uh, but I'm looking at the situation here. Embiid logged 37 minutes against Washington last night. They're playing a back-to-back here. Doc Rivers is clearly trying to limit the big man's minutes when possible. He only played 25 minutes in a blowout win over Charlotte on Monday. Dwight Howard has been really good off the bench in allowing Embiid to sit without the Sixers suffering in the middle. And on top of that, Embiid has gone under 12 and a half rebounds in four of seven games so far this year. The Sixers have other good rebounders. Uh, Ben Simmons averaging almost 10 a game. Tobias Harris is at eight. So he has other guys hitting the board so that, that Embiid doesn't have to do it all himself. So I'm hoping for a game where Embiid plays more like 30 minutes instead of 36 or 38, and I will bet $100 to win $108 that he doesn't get to 13 rebounds. And now for the final results of the Fast Five. We got a sweat out of it. I went 3-2 and two in Week 16, and John ran into a rough 0-5 week, pulling me within one game entering Week 17 
We managed to pick 10 non-overlapping games in week 17, as documented on Twitter, but I failed to make up any ground. I went 3-2, and two, and John also went 3-2, and two, so he finished one game above 500 with a record of 41-40-4, while I ended up one game below 500, 41-42-2. So, for the second year in a row, by the closest final margin yet, John, you are the Fast Five champion. You lead two sets to one in the Lifetime Series. You have earned the right to monologue as you see fit. Congratulations. The floor is yours. Well, yeah, I was headed to three and two for sure uh, in week 17. And the Seahawks scored two touchdowns in the final four minutes for a crazy cover for me, except the 49ers scored a meaningless touchdown with 30 <laughs> seconds left. And I was okay with that because, drum roll please, it meant that we teamed up to finish with the same record in 2020 combined as we did in our inaugural 2018 season. 82, 82, and six. Exactly <laughs> the same record. I love the smell of symmetry in the morning. Um, plus, we actually crushed it in 2019. I, I went 48, 33, and 4, and I know you had a winning record as well. So mm-hmm. we're probably up about uh, 120th of 1% or so over the years. <laughs> uh, the other weird thing is I've only been below 500 for maybe the last three or four weeks in 2018. Otherwise, never. And yet, like this year, I finished only one game over 500 thanks to a late-season collapse in both 2018 and, and 2020. That's kind of strange. I, I have the hang of it. I would think if you do well the first 10 weeks or 12 weeks, you're going to finish strong, too, like I did in 2019. But uh, the other two years has not happened. All right. Well, you you should talk to uh, Huck Seed and get some advice on endurance. And uh, that's that's that seems to be the key. A little a little late season swoon that that's gotten you on two out of three years. But uh, nevertheless, you did hold on for the win, and and it was fun. I, I'm I'm just glad we got a sweat out of it. Um, I, I would have liked to have reached 500, but. I honestly just never felt like I got a great handle on the league this season, so I, I can live with my final record. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the next eight months or so of you not reciting your lifetime stats on the podcast every week. Yeah, I think we've, uh, I think I've, that ship has sailed. <laughs> I think I get one more in. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we now turn our attention to the playoff games as we see whether either of us can shake up the sports betting world by going a perfect 13-0 and against the spread in the postseason. There are six games this week, so... We'll take kind of a lightning round approach to it all, uh, making our picks in a couple of sentences, if possible. We'll use the DraftKings lines as of Wednesday evening, and I'll go first with the first game. We're just taking these all chronologically. The first game on Saturday, Colts at Bills. Bills favored by six and a half. This is a tough one. That's a good line. Those odds makers know what they're doing. Uh, But the Bills are legit. Josh Allen is legit. You can see he really believes in himself, and it helps to have Steph Diggs to throw to. Uh, Top coach, top quarterback, got some valuable losing playoff experience last year. I think they can cover this. I'll go with Buffalo. All right, well, give me the Colts at six and a half points. Uh, The announcing crew didn't notice, oddly enough, but the Titans did some strange things in the fourth quarter of that Week 17 game that would determine if they would play the Bills or the Ravens. Like, I'm not sure they even were sure what they wanted. They went for it on fourth and 11 from, like, the 50-yard line. Kind of strange. Um, But I don't blame them for not being sure because I – I'd rather play the Bills, who are a really good team, but they have the weight of the world on their shoulders, no history of playoff success. You know, the Colts have sputtered in spots, but the defense and the overall vibe there, it still kind of works for me as a, you know, when I get almost a touchdown. And then next we have the Rams and Seahawks on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Seahawks favored by three. I can't believe I get uh, Russell Wilson at home with a standard three-point give or see either a banged-up Jared Goff or a Wake Forest quarterback. Um, I know Co- Cooper Cup is back, but still. Um, Hawks by double digits, even if the Rams surprise us and bring back Roman Gabriel or John Hadle to start. 
<laughs> reaching way into the memory banks there. Um, you know, earlier in the week when the line opened and the Rams were getting like four or four and a half, I was all set to take them actually. Uh, but the line moved uh, for whatever reason uh, down to only three. And at, at only three with Wolford likely at quarterback or an injured golf, which I think is probably a downgrade from a healthy Wolford. Um, I'm with you. I have to take Seattle, not necessarily expecting a double digit win like you are. Um, I think the Rams defense can keep it close, but at a spread of three, I lean Seahawks. I actually wouldn't be at all surprised if we push here, but we're on the same side of this one. Um, next up, the Saturday night game, Buccaneers at football team. The Bucks are favored by eight and a half. The bet that I love here is the under. I think the Washington D causes problems for Brady, and I'm not sure how the Washington offense, which couldn't do much against a tanking Eagles team, puts up a lot of points here. But if I have to pick a side, give me the football team. I highly doubt they win outright, but the defense should keep them within eight points. Yeah, I'm going with that logic from our podcast guest on football team, which figures to provide yet another mind-numbing but competitive contest that they keep doing every single week. Uh, yeah, plus eight and a half, even granting that the Bucks aren't joining the Week 17 Eagles, as you say, and actually trying to lose. <laughs> right. So let's move on to Sunday's games. The first one is Ravens at Titans. Ravens favored by 3.5. Uh, as you, you mentioned uh, earlier, um, that is a little surprising. And still, give me some Ravens. Uh, not only because I am 56 bucks to the good if they win the Super Bowl based on a $1 <laughs> preseason bet, where I think you had Chalky McJockerson with the Chiefs. It's uh, uh-huh. okay. Um, I think the Ravens just have a full head of steam up and a lot of frustration to address, and they're going to address it. I still prefer my chalky pick uh, at the moment. I wouldn't trade it for for yours, but uh, at least the Ravens got into the playoffs, so you're alive. Um, (laughs) I've telegraphed my pick on this one pretty strongly all show. I think you know I'm taking the Titans. Uh, I think it's a coin flip game, so I'll gladly take three and a half points. I'm just not sold that the Ravens actually improved as the season went along. They needed to win those last five games to get in, and they did. Good for them, but... Cowboys, Jags, Giants, Bengals. Those are four of the opponents in their five-game winning streak. I have to take the Titans getting three and a half. Um, Next, we have Bears at Saints. Saints favored by 10. Boy, that's a lot of points. And we don't know what we're getting with Kamara, but I'll still take New Orleans. Uh, The Bears are the definition of mediocre. Eight and eight. Probably happy to be here. If we get one or two big mistakes by Trubisky, this game could be a total blowout. Uh, So I'm going with the Saints on this one. I think it's an easy one, but I like the Bears. They have a puncher's chance of winning. I'll have to look at their uh, money line. That could be uh, pretty tasty. Um, yeah, 8-8, eight eight, but gave the Packers, who needed a win to grab the only buy in the NFC, almost all they could handle in Week 17. Look, the coach stinks, and the offense is erratic at best, but this is a very good defense, and that gets lost too often. Matchup here went, went to overtime in midseason with Nick, my 15 minutes are up, falls at the helm. So <laughs> Trubisky's not great, but he's a little bit better, and, and 10 is just too many points to pass up. Okay. And then the final game Sunday night, Browns at Steelers. Steelers favored by six. Um, Browns have lost 17 in a row at Heinz Field. Also, their last two playoff games were losses to the Steelers in 2002 and 1994. Mm. Plus, the Browns just edged the Steelers by two points a week 17 against somebody, a quarterback, instead of Big Ben, uh, who returns for the postseason. It all adds up then. The Browns cover, but they lose. Oh, all right. You see, you, you swerved uh, on me there. I thought for sure you were going Pittsburgh. And uh, so that means we actually are on opposite sides of four out of the six games because uh, I'm taking Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, the odds makers 
clearly don't want to move this line all the way to seven and and open up that giant middle from from where it started. But I feel like they probably should. Uh, I mean, Pittsburgh's backups almost beat this team last week in Cleveland. Now Cleveland is missing some players and coaches. The Steelers are relatively rested. This is actually probably my most confident pick of the week. I'm not sure if that's a good sign or not, uh, but uh, I like the Steelers minus six here. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Eric Beimfor. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, for the first time in 2021, please take us out. All right, Eric, you know, what is gambling, really? I'm getting uh, metaphysical here. <laughs> yes. uh, the point has come up most often in recent years regarding daily fantasy sports, right? You know, there's all sorts of industry reasons why you do or don't want to be labeled gambling and all that. But, uh, you know, the fact is that I just figure if you risk money in the outcome of the performance of specific players, that seems like gambling just as much as risking money in the outcome of a specific team. Um, but I'm guaranteed to make money this weekend. How is how's that possible? I have a $25 max promotional bet that pays off if any of the 12 NFL teams in action scores a touchdown. And I don't plan on betting more than $25 total on the other game. So I'm going to make money. And it's not <laughs> this weekend. The truth is that for the past few years, all the money that I've been perceived to have been risking really has been house money. I mean, any savvy and frugal person in a competitive market can do it. You sign up for, say, $100 or more, you get a match at the incentive, so you're playing with that house money. You keep an eye out for the no-brainers, like this free 25 bucks. You avoid parlays. Learn a little bit about arbitrages between among sites that guarantee you can make a micro sum like 8 bucks or whatever, no matter what happens. Play for low stakes, and you'll never dip into your own actual pot of money. Now, this revelation epiphany, you might say, it does take a little of the drama out of what hardly qualified as sweats in the first place, obviously. You know, of course, I can fix that by playing for high enough stakes that the bet dips into my own pocket, too, thereby making me, you know, an actual gambler. I'm just not sure that I will. I, I kind of like playing with other people's money. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. <laughs>